If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. 2019 is a year of big changes for the Goldenberg Group as we roll out a new brand, Successful Nonprofits. If that sounds familiar, it's probably because you're listening to the Successful Nonprofits podcast. But now we are rolling everything underneath Successful Nonprofits. So the blog, the consulting services, pretty much everything will now, from this point forward, just be branded as Successful Nonprofits. Another big change is our decision to offer a facilitated cohort group for strategic planning. Volunteer leaders who participate on behalf of your organization will learn and apply the proprietary, proven strategic planning process that we have developed and use effectively. Your leadership volunteer will participate in bi-weekly online sessions for about six or seven months while they are facilitating your strategic plan. As your planning project unfolds, they will also learn the next steps necessary in the facilitation process. And they will receive all of the tools and templates that we have developed for workgroup management, stakeholder surveys, the environmental scan, financial analysis, fundraising analysis, board evaluation, the retreat, and of course, the final plan itself. As you can imagine, this is not a passive instructional format. So your volunteer leader that participates will implement each lesson as the course unfolds and, of course, as the strategic planning process unfolds. So if you're interested, visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com and reach out if you believe this may be a good fit for you. As we mentioned in the last episode, before accepting any organization and their leadership volunteer into the cohort group, we will need to consider your volunteers' skills, abilities, and bandwidth, as well as a commitment to meet the time requirements of the course and the planning process. Early enrollees will receive a significant $1,000 discount through February 15th, and I believe this episode's coming out just a few days before that, so please make sure you get on it.
Today, I welcome Larry Velez, founder and CTO of CNU, a managed IT provider for small companies and nonprofits. You are probably thinking that Larry and I are going to talk about IT, aren't you? Well, we are going to talk about IT, but not today. Today, we're going to talk about the challenges and benefits of employing millennials and post-millennials in your organization. So I have to share with you that I think perhaps the perfect person to have this conversation with is someone who is running a managed IT company. And the reason is so many millennials and post-millennials work in IT. So if anyone knows how to manage them and how to get the most out of them, it's going to be Larry. Now, in preparation for this episode, I have to admit that I had to look up the definition of millennials because I pretty much thought it was anybody born after 1990. And guess what? I was wrong. Turns out that a millennial is anyone born between 1981 and 1996. Now, how they came up with that artificial boundary of 1996, I have no idea. And maybe at some point in the conversation, Larry can shed some light on that. But then I also learned that there's this additional generation, a post-millennial generation called Generation Z. And those are the folks that are born after 1996. So pretty much people born from 97 until today. Now, as a group, older post-millennials have a lot in common with the younger millennials, those folks born before 1996. So think about it. They have technology embedded in their DNA practically. They have strong involvement in online communities and social media. And also of note, they have significantly less work experience than earlier generations. Again, did a little bit of research, and I found out that today, only 58% of people between the ages of 18 to 21 were employed. Now, I'm kind of surprised by this because I think I got my first job in a family business, like probably in middle school, and then I got my first job at a grocery store in high school. So I was surprised that such a small percentage of 18 to 21-year-olds today are employed. And we went back and compared, and it turns out in 2002, that number was 72%. And in 1968, that number was 80%. So if you're hiring a 21-year-old today, there's a greater than 40% chance that they have no recent work experience or probably no work experience at all. So let's move on with this conversation with Larry Velez to talk about how it's different managing, motivating, and getting the most out of millennial workers. Hey, Larry, after that long intro, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Now, I know you've got a pretty diverse staff at CNU. What traits do you encounter in your millennial and post-millennial workers? Well, not only on our team, but actually, if you think about, since we are the IT department for so many organizations, when you think about hiring someone new or one of our clients hires someone new, think about the process, payroll, making sure their paycheck's going to work. And the very first thing they do is say, talk to the IT department. They've got to set you up with an account or an email. So we see people day one, you know, right after the HR person or the outsourced payroll processing, we see new employees at our clients right away. So we get a very good impression of how the workforce has been changing over time and how the newer, younger generation um, is working. And, and, and for them, it's really a shift in how they communicate and which devices they're using. That's the biggest shift we're seeing now is the 
the the iPhone is everything to this generation, and that 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 has some ramifications in how organizations are designing themselves now. So, Larry, as you see these new hires coming into the workforce for the first time, and of course, you you or a member of your team are issuing them email, laptop, etc. What trends do you see? Well, the biggest trend we notice is that the iPhone or or the equivalent, you know, sometimes another type of phone, but the iPhone is the most important device in their life. And for some, even especially younger people, it almost is literally painful to use a laptop, let alone a desktop for them. Because during their schooling years, those devices were really just to get work done. They didn't communicate through them. They didn't compose any communication through those devices. They would write papers and then stop using it and go back to their iPhone. And that's the transition that we're seeing that a lot of systems in organizations are not ready for that. They don't have a mobile app for the accounting system or for the you know, communication system. And that's, that's the shift that for them, it's painful to sit in one place and sit in a desktop and work. They, they want the iPhone, they wanna walk around, they wanna walk to a different couch and stand up and have a very fluid motion of a day-to-day work, not sort of like the 1950s office worker that would sit there for you know in one spot for eight hours. That's the biggest change is the iPhone is the center of their world when it comes to devices. And a lot of organizations are just transitioning to the point where all of their systems that they need these people to work in are ready for that. They have an iPhone app or a web-ready mobile interface. Some of them don't have any of that, and that's pretty challenging. And they're stuck in the middle, right, because they're new, so they can't really speak out and say, hey, what is going on here? I need an iPhone app. But their tools are not really, you know, are not ready for them. So we're going to see a few years of that transition as organizations start upgrading their accounting systems to the cloud or their donor tracking system to the cloud. And then once it's in the cloud, then it can have a mobile app. And so that's that's the biggest thing we're noticing. And so what exactly would that look like for the workforce? Does that mean we would all be on mobile apps or some of us like myself who are kind of old fogies would still be able to have a laptop or a desktop? Well, I think there's going to be pendulum swings. And I think you know, as things transition, there's going to be some balance. So there's some things you do on your phone, like Twitter or something. And, and there's some things you just need a bigger screen. I think fast forward a few years, we'll have be using different size screens and probably a lot of voice, a lot of Siri, Alexa kind of interaction, five, 10 years into the future. But until then, we're going to balance and use multiple devices. And I think the younger generation is very, very fluid with that, where they can pick up an iPhone, start a conversation, put it down, pick up their laptop, continue the conversation and go back and fluidly move between small screens, medium screens and large screens. And eventually your your big hundred inch television is going to be. Uh, powered by you know, Google, Amazon, or Microsoft technology and be just a seamless integration between the way you work. Well, I have to share with you, I think my television already is kind of powered by, I think, Amazon and Netflix and Hulu because we don't have cable. And so we right. don't get any TV unless it comes in through them. And admittedly, then we plug a laptop into it and that's how we make it all work. Um, so it's interesting because I guess I'm kind of already at that point. But so this fluidity that we're seeing among millennials of being able to go from the small screen to the medium-sized screen to the big screen. Outside of technology, what other areas does that fluidity apply? Well, I think that balance and fluidity is is not just about the devices, is about the how data is being consumed and produced. We went from a time when, you know, type letters and send memos to email, which was concrete things, which there was a time when you could read all your emails in a day. 
Now we're at Twitter streams and Facebook streams and Snapchat streams, which are continuous streams we, you can't possibly consume every message of. So get balancing between this overload and, and now Slack is becoming popular, right? And, and there will be a Microsoft clone of Slack and a Google clone of Slack. And we're already hearing this sort of Slack fatigue happening where I just can't keep up with the conversation. It keeps going on through the night in the morning. I have to pause it. So I think we're going to find a balance where there's going to be a pendulum swing between an overload of information of these streams of data and then a throwback. And then people are going to go back, well, I need pen and paper or, or some balance. So I think we're always going to see this pendulum swing back and forth. But I think that balance, that's another area. Um, and we're also seeing it in how offices are being designed. There was a, a theory of stand-up desks, and that was popular. Now it's kind of receding. There was a theory of open planned offices without any offices. And now there's some pushback that that may not be most productive. So I think people are different. And, and some people thrive in, in, in noise, some people thrive in, in silence and getting to know how your people work, what environments they need and what devices they need. But most importantly, having your solutions, your business solutions, the systems that you use, be able to meet those people where they want to be. If it's on the iPhone, let's meet them there. If they want a big three screen layout because that's the way they want to work, then let's make sure that that system can be that flexible to, to operate that way. So those are the few areas the places that they want to work in. And working from home is another trend, for example, which became popular and now it's receding. Arguably, it destroyed Yahoo in a place that they couldn't compete because too many of their employees were working from home. So finding the right balance and making sure all of your systems and your infrastructure can bring the balance that's right for that employee um, at the right time is, is what we're seeing organizations um, you know, tackle now in 2019 into the next few years. So you just shared something with me that I did not already know or understand. So it's a little bit tangential, but I'd love for us to kind of walk down that path. I was not aware that one of the part of the downfall of Yahoo is that too many people were remote workers. Can you help me unpack that? Sure. I mean, it's, Yahoo, remember, plays at the highest level of competition, right? Unlimited funds, the very smartest people in the world competing against Google, Microsoft, Amazon, companies that have unlimited budgets. So if you're, if you're in the arena at the highest level of business competition, you need your people to be the absolute best. And unfortunately for them, Google and Microsoft had all their people in the same offices collaborating and working in a very high speed feedback loops. And meanwhile, Yahoo, their director of HR was in New York, living in New York, the director of HR. Many, many, many major teams and management of their company were not in their headquarters. Mm. Um, so that means they were just a little bit slower. That doesn't mean they were ineffective. But if you're competing against Google, you can't be even 1% too slow because they're going to overrun you. So it's, it's a marginal or an outlier example. But I think it's it's a, a place where it didn't work for them. They can't you can't be in the industry. You can't build rockets and have people working from home. But not everybody's building rockets, right? That's just a couple of companies. But there might be some negative down, you know, some negative to an organization that that hasn't embraced it the right way. Although there are trends, and there's a book called Remote by uh, the 37 Signals guys that's all about how to do remote correctly and how to you know how to make sure you're in the right place. So again, it's balance, and not every not every organization um, thrives in the same way, and it usually comes from the top down. So usually, if the management board, the executive director thrives in a certain way, then usually they shape the organization in that, whether it's working remotely or in a major city or in the suburbs or in another country for that matter. So 
some of the factors that come into business. I mean, we tend to deal with a lot of business issues as well as IT because we have to. We have to know where things are going and, and how these organizations are, are shaping themselves through technology. So some feedback there. In terms of remote workers, I know I have walked into as a consultant, as an interim executive director, a number of workplaces where especially younger people really want to work remotely, want to work from home. And sometimes it's been in organizations that are in New York. And for listeners that may not fully understand, a lot of young people, so people in their 20s in New York, have multiple roommates in very small apartments. And so I'm always surprised when they say, I want to work from home. Yes. I mean, New York is a, is a dense city, and, and you're right, that happens. A lot of people live with multiple roommates, uh, but some people can thrive. I've, I've, you know, we've seen people that need the noise of a cafe to be effective. They need that background noise. So some people thrive in the noisy environment, and, and, and some people don't. And I think organizations need to think, think about how to have, uh, and even that book, Remote, talks about have a, still have an office for the people who need it. But don't force people to be there that, that, that don't need it. So you got to find the right balance. You have to know your people. You have to know your team. And you have to recruit accordingly, right? If, and we've had, we've had organizations that were completely dispersed internationally. And they purposely recruited that way because they were able to gain talent that they maybe couldn't afford from a major city uh, like New York or, you know, or San Francisco or something. So maybe they can get a really, really you know, great person for a role but they live, you know, in France or they live in Brazil or, or some other place. So it's a balance of how you how you run your organization, finding great people. Um, you have to expand, especially if your funds are not unlimited. If you're competing for talent in New York City, you've got to pay. You've got to pay because their Brooklyn apartment is expensive. So so if you're a, fall, a smaller nonprofit, you may need to expand your geography to other cities and be more flexible with how you grow. Right. And so let me also ask you that that. Folks that are best able to work, for example, from that noisy cafe, do you find that's predominantly millennials or do you find a lot of us in our 40s and 50s work really well in the noisy cafe? Um, I think there's a lot of, you know, uh, talk about millennials or this, millennials or that. I, I've met millennials that are cutthroat business people that, you know, it reminds me of 1980s, you know, stockbroker Wall Street you know, these are people that want to be in business. They want to be millionaires and billionaires. So I, I don't think there's, these generalizations really apply. I think every generation has people that thrive one way or another. So I don't think it's a generational thing as much. But the one distinction generationally I do see is around the technology and the devices. Another thing we've noticed is even on the management side, um, one thing that's interesting is management executive directors and, and you know, C-level em employees now they are of an age, their deepest, darkest secrets when they were children were ha already on Gmail or Yahoo. So they have no fear of the cloud of email of technology versus the generation just before that didn't grow up with email, where their deepest, darkest secrets when they were 10 years old are not recorded in the cloud or not recorded digitally. So they have a different relationship of trust. And we're noticing that now when we're having conversations with management where they used to resist. 10 years ago, we were having conversations with management and they were resisting the cloud. They were resisting the connected world because they didn't grow up that way. But now these people are CEOs, CFOs, COOs, and they are super comfortable with technology. So that's the shift we're seeing. And I think fast forward another decade, we're gonna find a generation of employees and maybe managers that are super comfortable with voice 
and really the way they operate. You know, we're, we're having a podcast now. It's the way we're consuming information now. But I think we're going to get more comfortable with literally, you know, sending voice as the communication method or voice as the content creation method. So when you write your speech, you just dictate it to a piece of software in a few years. People get get more comfortable with that. So I think those are the, the generational changes we're seeing is basically how did they grow up? What technology or what experiences did they have when they were 10 to 15 years old, which is what shapes you as a person? And now they, we see so much of that happen when they become managers or CEOs or C-level executives that now they're comfortable with how they grew up with the technologies that were around back then. So I have to share with you that I find it kind of funny that people are starting to become more comfortable with voice again. My first job out of college was with a family service organization. So, you know, therapists and mental health counselors, and we had a a psychiatrist on staff as well. And the psychiatrist was in his 70s, and he had a secretary. I'm I'm not making this up. (laughs) She's probably gone now because this was, you know, 25 years more. Yeah, about 25 years ago. Um, Right. uh, But so Rose, who was in her 80s, and... Dr. Wolfberg would actually read like dictation into a tape recorder. And then Rose would sit at her typewriter, not a computer, but would sit at her typewriter with headsets on, kind of the way you and I have right now as we're recording this podcast, and literally like type out exactly what the psychiatrist had said. So I find it funny that we're moving back to voice and that we're getting we're getting, and I'm using air quotes here, that we're getting comfortable. With, yes. with essentially dictating into machines since 50 years ago. That's how everybody <laughs> typed every single memo. They dictated into a machine and someone else typed it for them. Yeah, well, I think you've heard this before. Things go in cycles and technology and business practices go in cycles. And you saw a resurgence of pen and paper, I think, for a while where people went back to that. So I think you're right. Things go in cycle. And, and voice uh, is something that, you know, when technology and typewriters were created, was dismissed too much. And now it's finding its way back because the the software can handle it. Um, and I, and I think you know we'll 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 see a lot of value in voice. I think we 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 think podcasting is is really a a, a way to get messages out that that is underserved right now. So so I think it's great. And and I agree with you. And we're actually gonna have another episode later this year on how and why nonprofits should consider starting their own podcast. Because you're right, it's a great way to communicate what you want to communicate to your tribe, whatever your tribe may be. So yeah, I am I am right there with you. But so in terms of managing and working with millennials, the first thing that I hear you say is you've got to have flexibility. You can't treat all millennials like, you know, oh, you're a millennial, so you're a slacker. Or you're a millennial, which means, you know, you're only going to talk to me by text and you're never going to look up from your phone and actually talk to me. Um, but what are some other things that those of us, again, they're a little bit older, in our, you know, 40s, 50s and up, what are some other things we should be thinking about when we're managing or working with millennials? Well, I think you really need to audit and survey the systems and the tools that your organization uses. And are they ready for not just your generation and how your management team works, but the next generation? And the most flexible and the most capable of those solutions um, are, are are able to do that. They're able to meet you, whether you're a mobile first person or you're a keyboard first person or a laptop first person, they should be able to meet you. So I think creating that audit and really putting systems on notice that are not ready. If you've got a, a donor management system that has no path of an iPhone, like they're not even talking about it, Let's talk. Let's have a serious conversation. If this, is this right? And sure, maybe we've been using this for many, many years and everybody knows it. 
But this is a time where you need to really reassess, is this the right tool to get us to the next level? And if not, what else is out there? Let's, and don't wait until your, your, your people that want to be mobile first are really frustrated and they may, they may not stick around because they may feel like this, this is not a good work environment for me. Really audit and survey all of your business solutions uh, from accounting through donor management, through CRM, marketing, sales, you know, expense reporting, all the tools you use. Make sure that you're comfortable with where they are landing as far as the usability in a mobile first world, in a world where someone may be at home with just an iPad and they need to get work done. You know, just audit that, see where you land and make sure you're comfortable there and start pushing those vendors, start pushing those software. And then we, that's something we help our clients do all the time to push them to make sure that is they're thinking about it. And if they're not, then we're going to be talking to some of their competitors and seeing, you know, what, what else is out there. Nice. So let me ask you, what about face-to-face communication? What are some things that those of us, you know, my age and up should be thinking about? Well, video conference, I think, is becoming so natural for uh, everyone. I think everyone's a lot more comfortable. We're starting to see trends of, of meetings being recorded and streamed to other offices and just mundane meetings. No, I shouldn't say mundane meetings, but, but everyday meetings where there may be three people talking a strategy about something, uh, but record it. And you're not going to put it on YouTube, obviously. It's too public. But think about what, what system do you have? Is that a, you know Microsoft 365 or Google that can let, capture that and stream it and show it to other teams or have it as a reference? So start thinking about capturing these in-person meetings, having more video conferencing. Obviously, meeting someone in person has a certain level of, that it's hard to replace of collaboration. But I think you can really lean on technology today to have more, quote unquote, FaceTime with more of your team, maybe doing reviews over video. Interviewing is an area we're finding uh, a lot of organizations are finding huge value in doing a pre-interview when you're hiring somebody over video, saving a lot of time versus bringing someone in, having them meet with five different people and finding out, well, it's not a good fit. Well, you just took up 15 to 30 minutes of five different people in your organization where you could have maybe had a quick five minute chat or told them, hey, send me a video. Let me know what you think about the organization. Let me know what you think about our mission. And the people that can get that together, I mean, if they can't get their iPhone to work enough, then maybe they don't want the job that badly or or maybe you need someone that's a little more technical savvy to be able to do that. So we're finding video and recruiting and hiring has some some big advantages. And that's an area where we're making sure that when people have recruiting tools or, or resume uh, tools that they can handle video submissions or they can handle someone applying from Facebook or maybe possibly from Snapchat and trying to get a job that way. So we're trying to make sure that any any system that interacts with the people on your team has some video abilities or at least is thinking about it. And let me say, I am all about the online video chat. Like right now, you and I are on an online video chat so we can see each other and we right. see when we're smiling and we see when we're frowning and I like that <laughs> a lot. I'll also share with you that I, like yesterday, for example, I was not recording podcast sessions yesterday, but I had a uh, video uh, group training that I did. And uh, then I also had a coaching session and I, and, and when remote, I do coaching sessions by video as well. And what I do love about it is I can record it and I can send it out to people and say, okay, you know, you can refer back to this whenever you want. But then the other thing that I love is there's a certain accountability. And so, for example, if I'm on a video chat with you, you know, I'm not checking my email. I'm not doing other stuff. Like literally I'm on a video chat with you, Larry, you know, and and there's something that I really like about that because so often I'll be in phone conferences, non-video phone conferences, and I can just tell 
that a third, <laughs> two thirds of the people are checking Facebook, reading their email, doing other stuff, you know, like, and, and you can actually hear when they forget to mute themselves and like, you'll hear them typing away at their computer and you're thinking, yeah. okay, can you come back to us? Yeah. And, yeah. But then the other thing that I love, and you mentioned this, but I really want to drive this point home is that in recruiting videos help save money. And so like, especially if, you know, you are looking to hire a really key position and you want to be considering folks that live in other regions to do that first interview by video and not pay to, you know, to fly someone in. And you're just going to have a much more effective uh, video interview than you would a phone conference interview if you want to avoid the cost of flying a candidate in. Right. And one thing I would add to your focus and distraction uh, comment is that as we are overloaded with more Slack streams and Twitter streams and all of this, it's possible that some people need the focus, need the video, you need the ability to to focus their attention, audio and, and video at the same time to really fully immerse themselves in the conversation that, that that's happening. So so I think you're right. Some of that is needed. And video helps with that, helps right. with the focus. And, and admittedly, I'm a Mac person, but I'm sure you can do this on PCs. I have one button that I can click on my computer and it disables all essentially, you know, disables all notifications, updates, etc. And that's helps me focus. So that way, like when I'm talking to you, I'm not watching things scroll across the top right hand corner of my screen like, oh, an email came in. What is it? Right. Definitely. Yes. Well, Larry, I want to have time for the off the map question. And I have two possible questions. So there's a work of art on your left shoulder. And I got to ask you, what's the story behind this? Because I don't often see rats hanging in people's offices. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. This is actually, um, we originally, our office was in Tribeca uh, downtown many, many years ago before Jay-Z moved there and made it too hip and expensive for, for anybody to be down there. But we've moved to Midtown just to make our, it easier for our team's commute. But our original office was in Tribeca, and that's a picture of our building. It's actually a photograph of our building. And there's a, a street artist named Banksy that makes uh, you know illegal paintings in the streets. And he made a painting uh, or a piece, I should say, on the side of our building. So we, had, we were lucky enough to find a photograph of it and buy it from the photographer. Uh, so that's what it is. It's actually, uh, it's a rat that's cutting off a, a scaffold rope. And I don't know exactly what his commentary is, but uh, the, the construction worker is erasing the painting of the rat. So it's, it's definitely, a, he's trying to have a meal to multiple layers of the painting but that is a photograph of our original office when uh when we were smaller and now we've grown to a bigger office we're in midtown so we just kept it as a as a memory there we, we actually have another photo over here maybe i can show it to you um of another one of his pieces nice uh, which is this is i think in the uk this, this is not a photograph i mean it's, it's a photograph of the piece but yeah. it, it's not some something that's original to us yeah but let me put the camera back here uh, but yeah that's the story there uh banksy you know i'm originally born in, and raised in the bronx in new york so uh, graffiti street art is 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 in my blood uh and i was around that all my life so uh, so i've got a special connection with street artists like like banksy that's awesome and larry if you can get me the contact information for that artist to reach out and say, hey, you know, can I put this photo on our website? And dear listeners, if they will let me do that, then I will put this photo on our website. Great. All right. Well, Larry, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about working with millennials and with post-millennials. I have been wanting to have this conversation for such a long time, and I appreciate your insight. It will help me work better with millennials because there's more and more millennials in the workforce every single year. And so it will help me work better with them. Thank you. 
Now, as I promised in the intro, Larry and I will also have another conversation about managed IT for nonprofit organizations. So stay tuned. It won't be right away. It'll be in a few months, but stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can find Larry and his well-managed staff of millennials and post-millennials and those of us older than that at sinu.com. That's S-I-N-U.com. Hey, Larry, thank you again. Thank you very much. If you missed Larry's URL or the link to that Pew Research Center data that I cited earlier, no worries. Just put your 19-year-old intern on it and retrieve the link from the iCloud file they text you. Or go to our website at SuccessfulNonprofits.com and you can get all the information you need there. Now, my conversation with Larry made me think about the old adage, change is inevitable except from a vending machine. And the one best way to prepare for change is to engage in strategic planning. So be certain to visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com to learn more about our facilitator cohort group for strategic planning and reach out if you think this is the right solution for your organization. That is our show for this week. I hope you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. 